one day a dragon with a muffin problem attaches himself <laughs> to <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to Irenacast. I'm your host, Jeff, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Mona. We are post-evangelical ministers and theological thinkers grappling with our place in the progressive Christian world. Thank you for joining us for another conversation on faith and culture. Uh, Once again, Alan is still on sabbatical. Don't forget to check out our Instagram page to find out what he's up to during his break from the show. We look forward to having him back very soon. But for this week, this week we are going to be talking about anger. After our discussion last week on forgiveness, I think we both kind of realized through the course of that conversation that the thing that makes forgiveness the hardest is when we're angry Um, and what we do with that emotion and what is anger and how do we express it in a healthy way and how do we not express it in a healthy way and everything related to that. Wouldn't you say, Mona? Man. I'm angry that I don't feel like I have a lot of clear thoughts about this. Um, Jeff, what do you think is your own personal take on anger? Like, how do you how do you think about it? What's your experience with it? How are you raised with it, or are you not raised with it? I was I was raised with it. My home was, uh, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but anger was a big part of my upbringing in the sense that that my mom had very little self-control when it came to that particular area. So she anything would just set her off depending upon her mood or whatever. So anger was something I was always well aware of growing up as a child. Interesting. I think my experience was kind of the opposite in the sense that, yeah, mom and dad would get, you know, frustrated, but it was really like kind of a home where you really like controlled your emotions, I think. And some emotions Hmm. were just not okay. And I think anger most of the time fell into that category. Kind of interesting. I mean, yes, like everyone gets mad and sure. Yeah. You know, like that's just real. Like if you don't get mad, you're just not a human being. (laughs) Well, yeah. And we should, we should be angry. And we, you know, we, we talked about this last week, but we, you know, even we see in, the Bible, Jesus himself getting angry. Um, and I, I would say it depends upon like, like in my home, when it came to getting angry, we, no one was yelling or ever angry about the thing or at least expressing with their words, what, what was angering them about the thing that was actually angering them. It was, uh, my, my upbringing was a cultural, a culture, a culture of keeping everything under the surface. So nothing that you were really talking about was what you were really talking about. Oh, that's oh yeah. wow. <laughs> so avoidant anger is like the worst kind. <laughs> Oof, yeah. Passive aggression? Yeah. Oh yeah, very much so. And just like, you know, like when you lash out at your your friend or your family because something else is bothering you, uh there was just it was just that was it. And then when I became a teenager, uh you add on to my personality of pushing buttons and you know, uh, you? trying to push back against authority in every way, yeah. shape, and form that I possibly could. Uh, it, it was not. Uh, it was not a pleasant or fun environment. Oh my goodness! So yeah, not to, <laughs> not to, not that I sit up at night with uh, flashbacks from home. I, I think I've I've pretty well dealt with most of that and applied that. But I do know that I do have in certain situations a short fuse. Like I, I have road rage really bad. Like, <laughs> I think it's just that place where if I'm in the car and it's, it's, I think it's a, it's a, a trolling atmosphere for me, you know, cause there's, there's anonymity and I could just like yell at the person and be upset with them. And I know that there's not going to be any real interaction with them. Mm. Maybe it's uh, a lot more unhealthy than I realize, And, uh, I should reevaluate things. <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, we're often taught to do something which psychologists consider a lot of, uh, uh, a sign of maturity, which is called sublimation. So it's like the way to redirect that anger or put something um, that would cause you to lash out in an unhealthy way towards something socially acceptable, not even necessarily positive, but socially acceptable. So like to sit in your cart screaming at other people, um, it's kind of socially acceptable to do that instead of like punching a window, <laughs> which would not be socially oh, yeah, especially, acceptable. Especially when you live in Southern California, it's like the rule of the road, right? Yeah. But it's interesting you said about like, uh, the underhanded thing or like you're mad about something, but it's really something else that's bothering you. If you don't grow up that way, it can be incredibly confusing. Like 
You know, I've yes. had housemates who kind of work that way and I just don't get it. Like I just don't, I can't keep track of all of that, all the things that are going on there. And so I honestly just will be lost when that happens. Like I'm a really direct person. So I don't, I just don't resonate at all with the whole, I'm not mad at this. I'm mad at the other thing, but you need to guess what the other thing is and you should know what it is. And I'm mad at you until you know yeah. what it is. I just, I seriously don't get it. I know people, that's how people learn to cope though. So there's reasons people learn those behaviors that gets them something or they can protect themselves through that or. For sure. It's extremely frustrating. I think when we, we think in terms of anger, I think part of the problem, and I read this really, um, really interesting article that talking about differentiating between anger and aggression. So I think, I think what you're saying about like redirecting that anger, I think that's just healthy emotional expression is whatever emotion you have directing that emotion in a way that's positive and, and that creates a space for others to engage or whatever. Um, one of the things that, that stands out to me, since Alan isn't here, I'm going to throw out some Bible verses real quick, if you don't mind. Well, you might mind. <laughs> but uh, there, there's this instance in Acts chapter 17 where uh, Paul is coming into this area where there's a lot of idol worship. It's that passage about the, 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 the monument or the idol to the unknown God. But it starts with him saying that he's looking at all this idol worship and it says that he is provoked in his spirit. So this, this idea of being angry, upset, there's, there's anger there. It's, he's, it's, it's to irritate or to arouse anger in someone. So he's provoked. He's looking at all this stuff. And then the, the narrative moves him into a place where he uses this opportunity to teach and to connect and to build a bridge between what's provoking him as opposed to allow it to continue to provoke him. And there's this really interesting word. The word there that's being used for provoke is also the Hebrew equivalent of that is, uh, it means to sharpen. It's, I think it's Shana. And it's, it's in two different places in the Old Testament. One is in Deuteronomy 6, 7, in the Shema of the, the Hebrew people, uh, you shall teach. So it's used as the word teach them diligently to your sons and talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way. And then in another instance, it's used as the word sharpen. So if I sharpen my flashing sword, and then the verse in Deuteronomy 32, 41 says, if I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes a hold of justice, I will render vengeance on my adversaries. So you have this, this contrast with this idea of what can you do with that anger, this lashing out and act in vengeance or use that to redirect into a teaching moment, into a moment that creates connection and life and, and everything that's surrounded with that. Interesting. Well, that, that sounds like there's a process that has to take place for that to get there, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, in, and in that particular passage, Paul goes and talks to his fellow Jews, you know, like he has a place to, to talk and to kind of work through that before moving into a place where he begins to talk to those that are committing uh, idolatry in his sight. Interesting. Yeah, we do. We do have a, a strongly embedded cultural practice of of uh, evaluating of feelings and legitimizing or non-legitimizing them um, before we do anything else. Meaning like if you kind of determine or it's determined that your emotions are not valid, then you're just supposed to not have them. <laughs> you're, and and yeah, what happens to a lot exactly. of us is we stuff them down. And I'll tell you an, an interesting story about this. A friend of mine's mom is a school teacher in the Midwest. And a kid at the school um, who's a pretty troubled kid flew into a rage one day and punched a locker. And my friend's mom was trying to advocate for this kid saying that kid could have punched another kid, but instead he punched a locker. And to what degree do we say, okay, this kid is probably experiencing some incredibly difficult things at home, like likely, highly likely. Why don't we work with him and see what's going on? Um, but the school wouldn't listen to her and suspended the kid. Just point blank. Just you shouldn't have done that. Not not even concerned about the cause of that anger. Just the ex the expression and the fact that you're feeling that is just unacceptable. So we're going to punish you. Um, so think about how all the times in our lives we even go for, throughout a day to day basis and judge our emotions like that. Well, I'm not supposed to have that. I don't like that emotion. It makes me uncomfortable. Therefore, I'm just not going to feel it. But that's not how it works unfortunately that will go, it will go somewhere else. Like we talked about in our feelings episode. So, um, it's an interesting thing to like, it's an interesting idea to just let yourself feel what you're feeling because you trust your body to, to feel the right things that you're feeling because that's 
a natural process and then work through the process of figuring out where it's coming from and say, instead of just saying, is this good or bad? And if it's bad, sh- trying to shut it off. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think that, I think that we, we judge the feelings instead of what we do with those feelings for sure. Like no feeling is bad, right? No emotion is bad. It's where we direct it. Well, and it's where it's coming from. Like, don't we need to understand where it's yeah, coming that, from? Yeah. Yes. Very true. Yeah. No. That's that's a that's a really good a really good Before point. We like, have to what is? It. Yeah. Exactly. Are we? Is our anger coming from like a? acting out phase is it coming like what we're talking about before is it coming from the actual thing that you're angry about in that moment or are you just angry so what do you do if you don't know like some people just have a lot of rage that's just pent up and they might not know where it comes from i think it it depends upon the severity of that anger and how much damage it's doing and how equipped you feel in that moment to be able to handle it right like if you feel like you have kind of a handle on it then i would just start with your close friends your close circle and talk to like kind of figure out like do you know what do you do you see this in me or is this something that i'm doing a pretty good job of hiding hiding in myself Uh, i think if it's something you feel like you can't control then you need to talk to someone immediately like uh, a trained psychologist or psychiatrist not a pastor with a biblical counseling yeah degree. don't do that don't talk to patr- pastors about that kind of stuff they're not trained to do it. it we're not trying to be mean but they're they're literally they don't have training to actually know how to handle it they all they can do is pray with you and that's nice but it, it's probably not going to create a long-term solution so yes go yeah. see a therapist and that's yeah and that's in the case of you feel like you you are out of control and you can't handle it not in the case of like when you're trying to like i think you could talk to a pastor if it's something that's not that you feel like you're losing control or you're just as a, as a person, as a, as a spiritual guide, but not when it comes to, to, to severe mental health or you feel like you're kind of slipping on, on a slippery slope or whatever. Yeah, Well, even if it's not severe, I think like there's so much judgment that we give of like people who can't control their emotions or who have strong emotions and don't know what to do with them or like, you know, okay. So if you have a friend and you hear that that friend's going to anger management classes, like what are all the horrible stereotypes that you think about them? You know, like they, I don't know, just all kinds of people think all kinds of things. There are two emotions that really we don't have places publicly to do them and no one's going to try to fix us. Sadness and anger, like other emotions, like we can kind of have public space to talk about it. Um, If you're really, really, really sad and grieving, a lot of times there's nowhere to put that. And if you're really, really, really angry, where is a place in this society where you can go and be and just be angry. Like, may, I don't know. Maybe sports are an outlet for that. Maybe the gym for a lot of people. I mean, a lot of people work it out through physical stuff. And that's in kind of encouraged to get your anger out or to be angry. But not really to talk yeah. about it. No, not really to talk. Not even really express it. Like, even those things. Like, it's, you're not expressing it in a public forum necessarily. Like, you may be going to the gym, but you're still experiencing that by yourself even though you're around people, you know, I think, I think that's a good point. I don't think that there's a place. Well, even when we have stuff happen in our society, like with the idea of, of black lives matter and all that kind of stuff, people are kind of shoved into this place who are feeling oppressed and marginalized that, well, we need unity. So, you know, we don't give them a space in the public circle to be angry. And then when we don't, it turns into really ugly displays of that yeah uh, martin luther king jr said that a, a riot is a protest gone unheard so a lot of times not having spaces to to vet anger just exacerbates the situation publicly like socially communally and individually on any plane so no i think you're right even though maybe people work out some issues at the gym like you're not learning to put language to it you're not learning to figure out where it's coming from exactly and i'm obviously i'm not a trained psychologist or sociologist or anything like that neither of us are but this is part of that conversation but i think that that goes to the other side as well i think that if we don't create a space for people to even be angry about things that make us uncomfortable then it can also turn ugly i think that that we're seeing that with this overwhelming support from the right for trump is there wasn't a space for them to feel those things that provoke them and hopefully, you know, learn and, and move in a different direction. But I think I, I think that that's that's very true. What that, that quote that you gave from Martin Luther King Jr. I, I wouldn't even say maybe it's not even necessarily a protest unheard, but the emotions of your protest unexpressed. I, I guess it's kind of the same thing. Yeah, but I mean, people can express all they want, but if they feel it unheard, then they still don't have any kind of power. So, yeah. you know, yeah. if, if 
if you're if you're if you're angry and enraged over an unjust situation and you scream till you're blue in the face and that situation still doesn't change like and and that situation is untenable and and antithetical to your very survival in this world then what choice do you have but to try to scream louder and or i don't know maybe even get a little destructive so that people will wake up to the severity of the situation like what what option do people have it's either die or break stuff i don't know yeah you know so what so what would that look like i guess how could a civilization or a community provide a healthy place for people to just be angry i've i've thought about this a lot a lot because i'm frustrated that there isn't a thing to be frustrated places to be frustrated (laughs) 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 um and and I think a lot of it is like every once in a while you'll get this in churches or religious organizations, which is great. Um, the grief, but you know, anger is part of grief. Like that's wrapped into the process of grief, yeah. dealing with hard mm-hmm. stuff in this world, right? Anger is going to be a natural and a lot of times completely justifiable response. I would say most of the time, if you're angry, it's probably for a good reason. You should listen to that anger. Like you, it's a, it's a warning signal that your body is giving you. Um, so churches might address it from time to time, but it always has this tenor of, okay, now get better. Like, we'll let you have like yes. five minutes yeah. to be sad or to be angry. And then, okay, resurrection, Jesus, a smile now. You know, it, it really, I cannot tell you how much it makes my skin crawl that churches do that because that's not, that's really not biblical. Like the Bible says, weep, weep with those who weep, mourn with those who mourn. Like Jesus wept when Lazarus died and knew that Lazarus was going to live again and still cried. Like he still was present with people in their pain and he did not tell them to get better. Um, yeah. Really. And so I, I have this, you know, if I ever go into ministry, which I don't know if I could do it. <laughs> I, I have mad respect for people in my ministry, but just being a pastor's kid and, you know, just seeing so much. Um, I, I don't know if I could do it, but if if I did it, I would want to go like a Nadia Bowles Weber direction and just swear up the wazoo. And it would go, it would be called Sad Church. <laughs> <laughs> sad Church. And I think the sign would have a little sad face on it, like a frowny face. And Yeah, but wouldn't you just be doing the same thing, but in the opposite direction? If it's the whole thing's dominated by sadness as opposed to, and then, oh, well, happiness is fine, but... No, if they don't want to come, then they don't have to come. It's it's for people who I think <laughs> <laughs> No, seriously. It's for people who go through, you know, maybe what we could say is unfor- unforgivable experiences. Like based on our episode last week, you know, there are some things in life that you just ne- you just don't you don't need to make sense out of. Like you don't need anyone to make sense out of for you. You don't need to hear anything remotely like God had a plan for that because that's really hurtful. You just need to go be sad. And I I draw on this from my and, and I, I'm using sad, mad kind of interchangeably because we would have a monthly or bi-monthly service called Mad Church where we like rip up pillows and like scribble on things and yell like that. It would just be an outlet for people to be mad and to give anger to be a voice to being mad. That That's my yes. that's my I don't know, because when I so I got divorced about three years ago and when I got divorced, I was in an insane amount of emotional pain. I mean, it, it feels like. I'm going to talk about this more in depth in an upcoming episode, but it it felt like I was surrounded by this cloud of bees and these bees were stinging me all the time, but no one else could see the bees, but I could feel the bees. Like it felt that uncomfortable and painful all the time. And Mm. I couldn't, I could barely function as a person. I couldn't, I could barely make food. I could barely, you know, get up in the morning. It was awful. So if you've been through something that awful and you've grieved that hard, like, you know what that's like and you know how dangerous it feels to walk into a space where people are going to try to monitor or police your emotions in any respect. Um, So what I found was this divorce support group for people in their 20s and 30s that happened to be in my area, like out of the blue, which is is really rare um, because, you know, divorces in your 20s and 30s are are rare. Most people get divorced later in life. So, yeah. I can't tell you how much it meant to me to sit around with a bunch of sad sacks and be sad and not hmm. have to get better. Like it, that space was so healing for me. And like people talked way too much and there was way too much crying and some self pity thrown in there. And, you know, uh, people would make horrible jokes, horrible, like horribly offensive, off putting jokes, but like it just, they were my people. They were, I call them my sad friends. I <laughs> <laughs> just, if you've been through it, you know what it means to have that space. And a lot of support groups are really based around um, some sort of shared 
specific experience or trying to get over addiction or like you, you kind of have to have an identity marker of like a certain thing to be part of that community. So I thought it'd be cool to just have something called sad church or mad church where like really the connecting thing is the shared human emotion of just being angry or being sad. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the church has lost its ability for public lament, you know, like that is a, a spiritual gift that seems to be long forgotten. This idea of just leaving it at the complaint, leaving it at this is how I feel right here and right now. I feel don't like don't resolve it. Yeah, exactly. Like don't resolve it. Just keep it there. Like I feel like the past few weeks for in my in my congregation, I uh, um, I'm in charge of the the prayers of the people. So I I take the the title of that section of the service very seriously, because I feel like if this is a time where the people feel like they are represented in a prayer, you know, and sometimes I have no idea what to say. I just, I just say what I'm feeling in the moment, but I feel like the last few weeks more times than not because of everything that's happening out there, it just doesn't feel like a time that there should be a prayer that is uplifting and encouraging. And, you know, it just, it feels like this is a time for a lament prayer. This is a time for us to say what the hell is going on and kind of leave it there. Like we want to acknowledge that we know that there's hope, but we also want to acknowledge that right now it doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like there's hope and I'm angry and I'm upset. And, and, uh, I think it's been, from the feedback that I've gotten from people in the congregation, it's been very healing for them because they're not used to that idea of in a church setting, something being left uncomfortable, but it was more, the uncomfortableness was worth worth it because it was more reassuring to know, wow, I'm not the only one that feels this. I think you're onto something. And as you, before you said the word hope, I was like hope, like it came to mind. Um, you know, cause I, 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 th- I know a lot of people who in their theology, they would say, well, it's worth it to err on the side of hopefulness because religious, you know, Christian Christianity is literally the good news. Like that's what the gospel is. Right. And we're supposed to like, they would say that the job of the church and the job of Christians are to preserve and to uphold and to promote that hope of the good news. And if you just end on a down note, if you end a down note, that sounds really trite. If you end on lament, if you end on the sense of irresolvable tension and paradox, then like you're saying, like what you said was perfect, I think. It, it needs to have an undercurrent of knowing that hope is there, but giving voice to the fact that in this moment, it doesn't feel like it. And the feeling itself is holy. Um, and we're not going to try to explain away or control our emotions. I, I think, I don't know, just the idea of controlling emotions and and just not having the emotions that you don't like is is uh, really violent to our humanity. It's really violent if you stop and think about it. Yeah, I agree. I think it's it's damaging. And if we can't figure out ways for people to express those things and it it for it to be okay, like obviously there's a difference between someone who needs to express sadness for a, a time or a season and someone who is clinically depressed. And, you know, that's when you know, they need help and hopefully people stepping in in a way that's uh, the right way. But, you know, when we are talking about this, I, I think probably good to clarify at this point, when we're talking about this, we're talking about a general sense of anger. We're not talking about someone who's chronically angry at everything. Like we're not, we're talking about kind of the, I don't want to say um, normal experience, but the, the healthy expression of anger and providing places to that. Because then if, if it's not healthily expressed and when you can, then eventually it can turn into something uglier and more difficult to, to, to work through. Yeah. And hearkening back to our episode last week where I talked about trauma and the fight or flight response. If you didn't hear that, I would recommend going back and listening to that one because this is really pertinent to this conversation because, um, so, so like I, I mentioned last week, when you go through something horrible or if you have any sort of abuse or horrifying traumatic experiences in your past or repeated slight traumatic experiences, they can cause a trauma like state, a a PTSD kind of state, which um, long story short, short circuits your brain flight or fight response and can distort that response. So a lot of people will go into flight mode, It's but other people will go into fight mode. And that's where some people who have rage issues come at it because they're actually 
they're actually acting out of traumatization. That's just how their brain has learned to operate and has learned to cope. And they have learned through a myriad of factors, they've learned that's what they need to do to protect themselves is to become angry and defensive. But it's really, it's often a result. I mean, when is it not, right? Normally, human beings are not just naturally angry people, most of us, unless maybe you have like a hormonal imbalance or some kind of uh, chemical imbalance, mental imbalance in your brain. Most of us, the vast majority of us are just not like mad for no reason. If your people have chronic anger issues or rage issues, a lot of times it can be because they've been traumatized. They've been deeply, deeply wounded and they don't feel safe in the world. So they get mad. Other people run away. So either you either hide or you rage. That's usually what you'll fall on either one side or the other. And sometimes people flip flop between the two. But I, I've, I've known people who have trauma in their past and err on the more rage aggression side. And they will also, this is really interesting. It also comes with body dissociation, oftentimes, um, trauma-like symptoms. So people who've been traumatized can have like out-of-body experiences or blackout and have memory lapses. So I, I have I have someone, you know, who I know who um, has flown into a rage, blacked out, and 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 become physically aggressive. So um and there's not an excuse for that. I'm not saying an excuse as a behavior, but that behavior it doesn't come from nowhere is what I'm trying to say. It, you know, it, it, it's, it's your body telling you something's wrong. That's what it is. It's your body telling you something's wrong. And, and it's reacting to something. Like you talk about the fight or flight and you talk about it being damaged. But just even if you're normal fight or flight, like if you're in the flight or fight mode, it regardless of whether it's it's damaged or you're healthy, you're in a healthy place or a, a really difficult place, it still shuts off your ability to think. To reason. Like, yeah, it does. To actually. reason. You so secrete hormones that shut down parts of your brain that are logical. Exactly. Real. Which becomes even more important to give a place for people to be angry so they can move from that anger and experiencing it into a place where they can stop and think again before any major decisions are made. I mean, vengeance, what, that's where vengeance comes from, right? It's flying to a rage and taking action before you've had the time to cool off and reason together. Well, I think, I think vengeance is, is, or it can be is, premeditated, I suppose. Yeah. That's when I think it's, it's most dangerous is when it's not even a reaction. It's like a thought out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that's another episode, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. That's, this is why I dance though, to get out hard emotions. I know this sounds really strange, but, um, there really is for me something to, working out like the lilting of your of moving especially social dancing when you're dancing with partners to work out emotion and i know a lot of people who swear by this it's really really interesting to me um that if those emotions get trapped in your body in a pre-linguistic part of your brain to go back to movement and you know getting things out that way in in a in a sense that has an aesthetic to it in, in a sense that has a rhythm to it um, there's something that in our bodies that responds to rhythm, most of us, um, because it reminds us of heartbeats and it, it makes us feel safe, um, mm -hmm. especially amongst in close quarters with other people, because we're really at basic level. We are herd animals. We're not we're not ultimate predators. We are we we are vulnerable creatures. So to feel safe and to feel rhythm, this is why people go pay gobs of money to go to concerts where they can feel the rhythm of the crowd and they can be in close quarters with other people and they can move yeah. to the beat of the music. Um, all of that uh, kind of reverses those effects of these harsh emotions that seem to take control and make us feel really, really, really isolated. For sure, and and it, honestly, it doesn't matter. It doesn't even matter the type of music. Like that, I think that's why. You know, you go to a metal concert or a punk concert, you have that mosh pit where it's very physically aggressive, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like some of the nicest people I've ever encountered were in a mosh pit. When they knock me down, they just pick me right back up. Hey, come on. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. And obviously some artistic forms like metal uh, or punk, I would say, really kind of arose out of anger and nowhere else to go. Absolutely. And it was it was a good, you know, what else are you going to do? But well, let's just play really loud music, which is great, you know, and it, it ex I mean, talk about anger, ex especially punk. I know it's so much metal, but I think especially the whole punk scene and punk culture is fueled by this. I'm where we feel as though we're an other in the society and we're going to just step out there and just express that in, in a way that's healthy and amazing, especially if you love punk music, which I do. Rap and R&B come out of a sense of disenfranchisement. disenfranchisement. There's a lot of anger oh, yeah. expressed uh -huh. in rap, a lot of anger. A lot. Um, blues, similar kind of a thing. I mean, really old, but yeah, disenfranchisement. Oh, yeah. No. 
Absolutely. We don't. And, and what is this enfranchisement saying at the basic level? It's saying, I don't feel like I belong here. Yeah. It, it's, it, you know, so, so what can you do? First and foremost, people dealing with these kinds of emotions like rage and anger, a sense of belonging. First of all, let's, let's quell that. Let's, let's not make pe- people feel alone. That's why people band together around these subcultures because they need to not feel alone and they find other people who feel the similar way and it, it, it tempers their isolation. So it helps them. You know? Absolutely. So look at creativity tempers your anger and can lead to forgiveness. Look at we've made like a trilogy <laughs> of, of episodes Aww. just out of order a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I I still have a hard time being mad personally though. I recently like kind of came. How how should I explain this? I recently came into a, a personal situation of like um, a relationship that is really life-giving and it kind of contrasted former situations where they were, it was not so life-giving. And it's only now that I'm able to get angry now that I'm seeing like, Oh, this is how it should be. This is how I should be treated in this particular way. Mm. I'm being really vague because I, you know, we're on air and I don't want to talk about any of anybody in my personal history. That's not fair. But, um, all to say, I, I don't know. It, I think anger comes more naturally to some people than others. In my personal experience, it's not an emotion that comes naturally to me. Like I, I can remember very few times when I was like actually raging. Hmm. I don't know. I think I think it, that's hard to say. I think it's what are you raging against? Yeah, that's that's tough because I feel like I've I've like I've, obviously from the the history of our show and and everything like injustice makes us angry. I think it, it burns something in us, and I think that that's as well it should. You know, it's it's expressing loss in a way like there's some imbalance and it shouldn't be this way. Uh, yeah. and I, I think I get easily, it easily angered by that when that's something's like socially not. acceptable anger though. Right. It is. I guess it is. You're like well, a good person. If you get mad about injustice, <laughs> you get well, you're it, depending upon, depending upon what the injustice is. You know what I mean? Like there are certain, that's true. You know, the black lives matter. That's an angered injustice and that's not socially acceptable from, from a lot of people's perspective. That's true. not ours, by the way. Yeah. Just, put that out there. I don't know. I think I, I think you make a good point of realizing, and I think that's part of the journey, is that anger may not always be instantaneous. Sometimes we get angry as we learn because our, our view is widened. Mm. That's a more difficult anger to work through because it's not in the moment. And maybe even you don't even have the ability to express that anger in a way that to the actual person or to the situation because you're so far past it. Yeah. Like I'm a slow processor like that. Seriously, like my, my dad one time was like, Mona, you're you're so easygoing. Like someone can insult you right to your face and you'll you'll just talk right past it and pretend like it didn't happen. And I thought about it for a minute because like I don't realize that they're insulting me until like three days later. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> hey, wait a second. They were being mean. I didn't even notice until like much later until I've had time to really process it. I don't know. I've just always been like that. So um, I'm, I'm not I'm not reactionary, but like almost to a fault to where I, I don't deal with stuff, you know. So yeah. I don't know. I get angry. Like I'm in the midst of something that's making me angry right now. I think I mentioned it in passing last episode, but right now my wife and I decided, you know, we're adults now. We're we're older. We should we should like buy real furniture that we isn't a hand down from, you know, someone else or something that we still had from college or even our, you know, our rooms when we were living at home. Like we should we have a family now. We have two two beautiful young ladies in the house and we should, you know, we should I don't know. I guess I I guess that's an adult thing to do. <laughs> Maybe I should have figured this out sooner. So we're like, let's get some furniture. So we ordered this furniture and long story short, like they kept prolonging the order date and we paid in full and now I'm in a situation where they're telling me the furniture's not coming and they're not giving me a refund. And I'm sitting there like, you I mean, I've basically been robbed of three grand through oh, a business. Oh, it's so much money, dude. I'm you know, so I know, sorry. Right? That's terrible. Especially when it's your first like furniture purchase. And right now, yeah. I'm telling this story. I've probably told it like 10 times to other people. But for me, that's part of my process of getting that anger out is just being able to tell that story and keep it on the forefront 
and and also partly because it's still happening like it's not something that's resolved it's not yeah. something that's in the past it's something that's that's right now well and it and sounds like uh, you guys paid cash for it too right basically well, so. we, well we paid yeah basically i mean we paid with a debit card and they're saying but like you you're kind of punished credit for card that. company yeah, yeah exactly that sucks it's so it just it's sucks ridiculous yeah it, and it's it's obviously in the grand scheme of things it's furniture and i'm out money fine you know but it's in the moment and i think it's 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 a it's a you know representation of how we work through this anger stuff and i think that when we don't have a place where we feel like we can fully express that anger or address the source of our anger or then, our anger is not taken seriously that's a big one I oh think. that is too if yeah, i was just, just like oh it's not that big of a deal man you just need to get over it like <laughs> doesn't that just make your blood boil of people oh, so honestly much. like delegitimize your anger for you like uh, or just try to offer cheap fixes or yeah that was probably the number one source of arguments that i had with my parents when i was growing up was you are not listening to me you don't know what i'm saying you don't know where i'm at yeah not being heard is yeah yeah well you know it's so interesting though because i've met so i've met people who are like extremely averse to expressions of anger and come to find out that a lot of times they're the people with the most experience with anger because they grew up in really um, crazy homes or or dealt with a crazy relative or something, you know. So so anger just freaks them out and they can't handle expressions of anger or conflict. And so mm, yeah, it, so that's really interesting. So a lot of times it's the people who are the most um, I, I like shut down or run away or clamp down on anger it, they've been the most hurt by it which is interesting so i think if you can express anger and, and and kind of handle and be comfortable around expressions of anger like you're kind of privileged i think a little bit wouldn't a you little say? bit a little bit i struggle with that all the time though because now that i have the girls like i'll get frustrated and i'll be like ah you know and i and one of my daughters responds more to like a raised voice like physically you know you can see it she's like oh but she's also the one that provokes anger the most. Uh, so it's, but she's also just very expressive. Like if she's upset, I, she's the one I can sit down and talk to and say, you know, can you tell me what you're feeling? And she'll communicate. Or my other daughter, if she is upset or crying or angry, you can't, like, you have to just wait. And you can't just wait until she's calmed down. You have to wait for another, you know, 15, 20 minutes after that and then sit down and kind of start the conversation is a strong word when it's with a three year old. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you could at least start connecting and finding out, okay, well, why did you feel that way or, or whatever? And, uh, I mean, at this point, and I guess it's probably the right decision, but at this point, all I can do is if I get upset and I can see that it physically affects them is immediately apologize and say, you know what? I'm just upset. And then we're trying to tell, we're trying to show them and help them. How do you express frustration? You know, you can hit the couch, but you can't, you know, swipe something off the table into the wall. <laughs> it's all yeah. these. And, and it's and so confusing. so much of that is modeling. Well, and it's, I think it's, first of all, it's great that you guys are listening, you and your wife are listening to differences and how the girls handle different emotions that and how they respect respond to you and res, and treating them the way that they need to be treated that's wonderful and i don't think a lot of parents do that i i, I don't know i'm not a parenting expert by any means but I, i'm thinking of an example of my dad who like very rarely got mad like he would get upset he would maybe walk out of the room or kind of a happy-go-lucky dude um but I, you know, like any grown person who's got a, you know, a mortgage and kids or whatever, like you're, there are going to be points where you feel like you're going to break with the amount of frustration that you have and the amount of anger mm. that you have in, in the world, just because something goes horribly wrong. You're scared for not being able to pay the bills or what, whatever happens, you know? Um, I remember this is seared into my memory. Um, one time my dad was just, he was just mad. I think there would there had been a series of things, and then at this was when I was in high school, and I think something happened where like we didn't tell him the brakes on the car that the girls, me and my sisters, used um, were going, and it ended up being like a really expensive fix because we just didn't tell him that it needed attention, whatever. So th that was like the straw that broke the camel's back, and you could just see him like ready to punch a wall, like he was he was seeing red. And at the peak of this, he opens the freezer, he takes out a bag of peas, and he slams it on the ground. And the peas go all over the kitchen, and he storms out. 
But like, again, this is one of the situations where he's modeling actually a pretty healthy, non-destructive way to model anger to us. Yeah. I will always remember that. Like when you're that mad, slam some peas. Don't hit a person. Don't hit a wall. Don't say something you'll regret. Slam some peas. Like do something that'll get just feel really good you know and and as soon as he walked out the door like all of us started cracking up because like there's just peace everywhere (laughs) (laughs) but you know you know uh and then he came back about five minutes later and he'd cooled down you know haha cooled down frozen peas um but yeah i i think you you know we we watch each other especially people in positions of power like we watch how they deal with anger like they're, mm, you're being watched yeah. we're all being watched all the time like whether we know it or not like as as models because that's especially how kids learn. Um, yeah. And I think it, it's telling how you can sit here and tell that story in a way that's fun, even though it's a it's a story about anger. Like uh, my wife has a similar story about her dad, where her dad is really just happy-go-lucky, pretty laid back. And she, she always tells this story about when they were kids and they were fighting in the car or whatever. He just pulled over the car got out, walked to the the back window and just like banged on it real hard, got back in the car and everything was fine again. Like it was just, and the way she tells that story is always humorous. Like I think, I think that says a lot in the way that we can recount an event on how well expressed that anger was. Yeah. And I, and I realized too, though, that even in that, there are people listening right now who whose parents did not have self-control or they were dealing with things that were too big for them. They were dealing with things that they couldn't handle and their parents hit them or, you know, your parents may have done horrible things to you. You, you may have survived horrible fits of rage or horrible, you know, fill in the blank. And, and so I realized that there's, again, there's a level of privilege in me saying like the worst thing I can remember my dad doing is throwing peas on the ground. Like, yeah. Mm -hmm. Holy Moses. I am lucky beyond measure. Um, and if you had a different experience, I am so, so sorry. And just remember that it's not your fault. And, you know, I, I don't feel alone in that. There are so many people who have, even if your parents didn't f- get physical with you, just have to deal with someone testy and ragey and moody and someone who made you afraid or someone who verbally or emotionally was damaging to you. Like that's, that's not okay. And a lot of, I think that's so common that we treat it like it's just, oh, well, everybody went through that. So just buck up, you know, kid. Yeah. But, um, that it's, it's not okay. That's still damaging behavior. And that anger still got, it still made a, a mark on you. So if that's the case, like, don't be afraid to seek therapy for that. That's completely an acceptable thing to go to therapy for. You don't have to get physically hit. Nothing like horribly traumatic has to happen you know, for you to have a right to that kind of help or that kind of assistance. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And on the flip side of that, when you get angry, be aware of how people respond to your anger and allow that to guide how you interact with them in the future. Like really use that as a connection point. Don't feel like just because you expressed anger that you've burned a bridge, but it's a potential for building a new one because you can see and interact with people in a new way that you might not have before. I like that. Yeah. Anger should be an opportunity, right? Like we shouldn't wait until we boil over and become rageful, become in a rage to, you know, like let's deal with it before that happens. Uh, It's okay to admit that you're mad. Yeah. Everyone gets angry. That's what we're trying to tell you. Exactly. (laughs) Happens. Exactly. Um, well, I think that that's probably where we can end this one. Let us know your thoughts. We're always looking for feedback to the show. Thank you for all of you that have written and contacted the show. We really appreciate it. And if you have anything to say about this particular episode, you can go comment on the show notes at irenacast.com slash 74. And you can also contact us anytime on our feedback page at irenacast.com slash feedback. On the other side of the music, we're going to be bringing back a segment from a very early episode called Judging a Book by Its Cover. Judging a Book by Its Cover is a segment that we did back in our seventh episode with Mona, myself, and Alan. And actually, the only other time we did it was in an episode in which Mona and Alan were not a part of it. I did it during episode 20 with uh, guest co-host Adam, and we talked about deconstructing your faith. And we did movie edition. So instead of a book title, we took a movie title. And anyway, so 
this is our this is a long time coming. I I love I think we all like this segment. I don't know why we haven't done it sooner. We've done the reverse of it, right? Where we've re- we've we've talked about a scenario and then had to guess the title. But I think that was with romance novels. Yeah, the Christian romance that novel ones. That was awesome. That was hilarious. Yeah, we read the description and then the other people had to guess what the title was. Yes. <laughs> that was a good one. Okay. So we're going to do we're going to give the title and then the other person has to guess what that's about. Yes. So we, we've each picking, we've each picking, <laughs> we've each chosen uh, three book titles, and we'll we'll see what happens. Okay, uh, Mona, why don't you go first? Okay, I, I I don't know if mine are super enigmatic. I just picked them because I liked them and I thought they were funny, which is what usually makes a good segment. So yes, uh, <laughs> you'll sense a, a theme in the first two. Okay, the first title is "If God Loves Me, Why Can't I Get My Locker Open." that is a good question that is something deserving of anger Uh, i'm mad right now (laughs) i'm guessing that that is a that sounds like one of those preteen books like the you know like a little pre-adolescent going through a difficult time and it's probably like a christian one that you'd find in like at a christian bookstore or something like that. It is a devotional um, for teenagers. Yeah. A devotional for teenagers. <laughs> nice. Do you, want to read, do you want me to read the description? Yes, please. Okay. It's time to give God a piece of your mind. What's on your mind? Is it your biology final? Is it a fight you just had with your best friend? Is it Jesus? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Staying close to him is the best way to make it through this crazy life, but it can be hard to keep Jesus on your mind morning, noon, and night, especially when so many people think that being a Christian means you're weak, naive, or uncool. As a result, maybe you find yourself at the most exclusive parties just to prove that you're not the boring loser your classmates think you are. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> but you don't need to prove yourself to them. And here's why. God's opinion of you is one that really matters. This book, filled with enough devotionals for an entire year, equips you to hold fast to values like maintaining sexual purity. That's number one, obviously. Having a good work ethic and being a great friend. Rediscover the power of God's love and you'll remember why it was so important for you to stick by him in the first place. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> So good. Uh, yeah, it is. <laughs> that I can't tell you how many times, like every church that I went to as a youth oh, pastor, man. whenever I started, one of the first things I had to do was clear out some old library of books from like youth specialties or whatever that were just like from the 70s and always just the worst. And that sounds like exactly one of the ones that was in the pile. This this is okay. So this is like Sarah Silverman ha- has this joke like stop telling women like gr- like girls you can be anything you want to be because like it wouldn't occur to them that they couldn't unless you told them that they could. It wouldn't occur to them that it was a possibility that they couldn't or that that was the norm until you tried to break that invisible norm that was never there. Right. So she says stop telling stop telling girls that they can be president because like they never would have thought about the possibility of not. Okay. So I feel I feel like this is the same idea. Like no. You're not a boring loser. Your classmates think you are. You're not. You know, like, what if that never occurred to you? (laughs) (laughs) It actually says boring loser. You're not the boring loser your classmates think you are. Oh, my God. Wow. So good. Anyway. (laughs) So. Okay, your turn. (laughs) Okay. Um, So this one is, here's the title. Anyone can be cool, but awesome takes practice. Oh, is it, is it a self-help book? I, I want to be awesome. I need to read this. Can I have, can I buy a copy? It's actually, it's in the same vein as yours. It is a youth devotional. Is it really? <laughs> it really is. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so I couldn't find a description for this, but I discovered this, this uh, treasure trove of satirical <laughs> Amazon reviews for this particular book oh, nice. that I think are just hilarious. So I'm going to read those. Yes. Um, Instead. So this guy says he gave this book five stars, by the way. This might be just be a good segment, like Amazon reviews or something. I don't know. Anyway, I found some so, good ones too. Yeah. Yeah. So he says, coolness always came easily to me. Whether over a game of cribbage with my pals or a shared float at the malt shop, I really emanated a significant amount of cool. I'm not going to lie. People would always remark, Mike, you're cool. That wasn't just <laughs> once or twice. 
And, and then this other guy says, for years, I struggled with meager coolness until I read this book. Now, with my newfound knowledge and my I am awesome shirt, all the ladies want to get with me. It may look like they're just laughing and pointing, but I know that they truly find me irresistible. Since I've modeled my hair and clothes from the book cover, everyone thinks I'm Zach from Saved by the Bell. It doesn't get any better than this. Nice. <laughs> awesome so Doing good. it. So good. But yeah, you got. I'm going to put the cover of this book in the show notes. And you, like that Zach comment from Save by the Bell <laughs> is very accurate. And it's just this like cool white guy with blonde hair talking to all of his friends. And it is, yeah. <laughs> nice. Okay. I have a second one. It's kind of a follow up to the first one. See, I'm okay. sensing a theme here, both of us. Um, the title is Does God Ever Speak Through Cats? This was written in 2006. Interesting. <laughs> so I'm assuming that this is some kind of instructional book about like animals in the Bible or whether animals go to heaven or something like that, like a pseudo theological thing. Okay. Well, pop theology. I'm going to read the description and then we can discuss it because I'm not entirely sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Does God Ever Speak Through Cats is a book about Christian spirituality and cats. When David Evans moved into a new house in Los Angeles, he unwittingly embarked on two strange new journeys. One involved a totally new relationship with God. The other focused on a stray cat that was living in the backyard. To David's great surprise, he discovered that these two very different journeys were related to each other and had a lot in common. This is the book he wrote to tell that story. That's the, okay. that's the description. That's it. So I don't I want to read it now to find out how those stories intermingle. Um the comments on this particular book are hilarious as well. <laughs> yeah, do you see? Wow. I don't I don't think it's a theology. I think he's just telling a story about the cat and the and God. So. Yeah, that's what it, it it sounds like that. But is it like purposely religious or is it just like a random tongue in cheek title but it's just really about like a nice story? I don't know. The cover is just like like Helvetica. Does God ever speak through cats? And there's a picture of a cat climbing a ladder with some flowers in the background. I don't. I don't think it's. <laughs> and it says, "Hang in there." <laughs> <laughs> it's close. <laughs> the Onion recently published oh, an article that was like, "Cat from Hang in There" poster after 17 years finally falls to its doom. <laughs> <laughs> I saw that. <laughs> there's, just, there's just a branch with scratch marks. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay. Well, I don't. I think. I think this is sincere. I'm going to go with sincere. I think so. It sounds like it. Yeah. The top review it has 381 people found this helpful. <laughs> Short answer: Yes. My neighbor's cat once looked me dead in the eye and began to telepathically dictate a lost chapter from the Book of Revelation to me. <laughs> and it goes on. Very nice. Okay. Very nice. All right, your turn. Okay. So this is. There's, this is this breaks the theme in every way, shape, or form. Okay. The Muffin Muncher. Oh, no. All I could think about is the song of Muffin Top from 30 Rock. <laughs> My muffin Top is all that whole grain loaf. It's talking about, like, you know, Muffin, muffin I remember Tops, that. if you're not yep. a 30 Rock fan. Okay, wait. What, the Muffin Muncher? <laughs> yes. Is it a kid's book? Please tell it me it's a kid's kid. book. Okay, good. Oh, it is a kid's poof. book. Okay. <laughs> Um, it's about, is it like, um, the muffin man, like went, went bad. He just went postal and he turned into the muffin muncher. No. Okay. Um, is it, um, a, a grandmother with too much time on her hands? Is it, uh, a dog who really enjoys muffins, but is not allowed to have muffins and must procure the muffins for himself? Um, or perhaps Getting sort of warmer, sort of warm. Okay, it's some sort of creature, someone in an animal. Is it's a mouse? It's a cat. No, it, it's a gerbil. It's a hamster. It's a raccoon, a possum. Think more, not a real. A bear, <laughs> a unicorn, <laughs> no. a griffin. No. Not real. Not real. A dragon. A dragon. One day, a dragon with a muffin problem attaches himself <laughs> to. <laughs> To the village, threatening to burn down their drawbridge if he doesn't get 10 muffins a day as a toll for them to cross it. What a freaking bully. I know. Basically, the the, the village runs out. <laughs> the dragon has no more muffins to munch. And he has newfound sympathy for the villagers and recognizes that his self-interest and theirs are go hand in hand. 
So in collaboration with the village baker, he comes up with a novel solution. He will stoke the fires of the oven, dispensing the need for firewood, and then therefore can get paid in muffins. Hey, well, that's teaching children. It's actually kind of capitalism. Kind of smart. Yeah. But I guess they've changed the, the book. It's now called The Muffin Dragon. The muffin it's not yeah. the muffin muncher. The muffin muncher. People mocked yeah. it too much, probably. The internet can be a People cool, mocked it wild place. really, yeah, really bad. <laughs> a, just a lot of the Amazon reviews are about <laughs> how this 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 book helped them better their performance. And that's all I'll say. <laughs> oh man. Okay, are you ready for my last one? Yes. Okay. Are you are you really ready? Are you sitting down? I'm sitting down. Okay. I'm ready. This book, you might find this handy for your, your personal life. You can maybe consult with Kat um, on this. It, it, the book is entitled, Teach Your Wife to Be a Widow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, um, I, I don't know. It seems pretty self-explanatory unless there's some like metaphor there. I'm going to guess it is a very old book about how like a like a man book like a like a man christian marriage book where they're teaching men how to prepare their family in case of the inevitable or in case of bad news where the head of the household won't be around you got it yeah that's actually exactly right oh wow (laughs) yeah a wise and comprehensive guidebook for all oh for all wives prudent enough to prepare for that time when they may become head of the family well, that's so strange. Oh. It's written for women. Huh. Interesting. It, yeah, it's very interesting. There you go. Patriarchy. King. <laughs> I suppose in a certain time context, that was somewhat progressive. I suppose <laughs> so. It, yeah. Well, it's it's weird to write. Yeah. To write it, presuming that they will see themselves through the, their husband's eyes. I wonder if you just open up the book and it says, get remarried. <laughs> and then that's it. It's just the rest of it's oh, blank. The, resu- the reviews on this are hilarious. <laughs> I found this book in the glove box of my wife's car, along with a length of rope, duct tape, chloroform, and a rag. It was bookmarked to page 17. I figure that gives me about five days to figure out what to do. <laughs> See, I feel like we have to craft some sort of segment based around Amazon reviews. We have to, right? We have yeah. to. <laughs> I'm writing that down. Yeah. Oh my okay, goodness. so here's yeah. my last title. Um, I was going to go with the title of a book that says Mommy Drinks Because You're Bad. Oh, no. <laughs> That's not a real one, is it? It is a real one. But it's a real book? I couldn't find a thing for it. And then I found some random blog that said it was like a satirical book. Oh, but, yeah. but it was someone's blog, so I don't well, know how. Of course, how. it's a satirical book. Yeah. Actually... <laughs> but the, like the front of it is like some mom laying out by the poolside with a drink. <laughs> No. In that oh, like sixties or fifties, sixties like cartoon style or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's funny. All right. But the real book is called <laughs> Scouts in Bondage. Scouts in Bondage. In bondage. Whoa. Okay. That has to be about Boy Scouts, right? Or army scouts? <laughs> Some kind of scouts. I'm hoping. Scouts in bondage. Oh my god. Yes, it is. Okay. It's about Boy Scouts. Okay, it all is. right. It's and about it's scouts. About not rope time? Why are they in bondage? Did they get well, captured it's... by enemy scout tri- troops? <laughs> sort of. Okay, so here's the description. A professor engages the scouts to help dig up the remains of a ruined chapel seeking blocks of masonry with inscriptions assembled together these reveal the location of a secret treasure <laughs> i'm sorry uh actually actually a document which restores the the rightful owners to the local mansion along the way various lower class wasters hooligans and even hobble i don't even know what this is hobbledy hobbledyoys <laughs> What? attempt to thwart them oh. so this book is from 1930 so there's some wow. language like i don't know what wasters are I, I don't if that is that like the 30s way to say drug addicts and i don't know what a hobbledyhoy is a hobbledyhoy we should bring that back we should should i, I urban I, dictionary it? Let's hobbledyhoy okay we're looking it up um a clumsy or awkward youth according to oh. google just a, ho- a hobbledyhoy i mean that's just not so bad you could call someone that and not be terribly like non-pc right Jeff, you hobbledy-hoy. Get with the program. Sorry. I am a hobbledy-hoy. Well, That's a good one. Neither of us are used, though. I got to find some used to use that one on. Okay, so get this, be a though. Like, there is a first edition copy of this book on Amazon that's going for $700. Wow. 
Whoa. Yeah. I'm oh, sorry. $688 and five cents. That's and five cents. I mean, it must and be five worth cents. It. it must be a really so good read. I didn't realize it was a novel. That's great. It's pretty thick. Like I, someone was showing. <laughs> <you>. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> have to edit that out. Alan's going to kill us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. <laughs> that was too far. That was All actually right. too far. I'm sorry. The book has many pages. And uh, <laughs> there's someone had showed a picture of it because they, they actually – someone that gave the review or wrote the blog or whatever wrote a review on it. But they could only read it because – like at this bookstore because it was just on display because it was so old or whatever. Wow. Anyway. Well – <laughs> that was fun. We'll That's judging a book by its cover. <laughs> Love it. If you enjoy what you hear each week here on Arena Cast and uh, <laughs> you want to support the show, you can see all the ways to do that at arenacast.com slash support. And uh, yeah, just check out our website in general. We have some fun stuff there. So for this week, I'm Jeff. I'm Mona. Thanks for joining the conversation. 